looking for a church home and looking for something for our children and children's ministries that was really good. And um, we had a nine-month-old and a three-year-old, and we were looking just for good programs for them to help us raise them for Christ. Reverend Herb Jungling, the original pastor, stopped by our new home here in Zealand, half a mile east, stopped by with an elder and uh, invited us to worship. And we felt really wanted from day one. I like the Bible studies. I felt I really gained, you know, spiritually going through these Bible studies. And we need that support. And I met a lot of women there that I became friends with. And the prayer support was just great. We were both pretty active from day one. It was a smaller church, so you were kind of needed in the consistory and the Sunday school teaching and everything. Everybody took took part in it. And it was a, uh, we all grew together. I became uh, pretty active in the Mexico mission trip quite a few years ago. and. That's something that I just look forward to, and as long as the good Lord gives me the strength and the health, I want to be part of that. Juan and I, we just loved the music that is in the uh, contemporary service and have just grown spiritually through that. Yeah, I think the VBS too, um, that, is, that is so awesome. Um, I know I probably should quit, but I'm the greeter for that, and I. I just love that. I just get all pumped with the VBS. So I'm still in it. 70 years old, I'm still in it. We're not a perfect church. We're growing all the time. We've uh, probably had some bumps in the road, you know, and uh, we're human. We're, we're not perfect people. There's only one perfect church. And uh, we strive to be part of that someday. I'm just excited about it. I'm excited about seeing what's going to happen in the future. And um, I think community is going to go a long ways. And I feel this is our church family. I mean, families stick together. You know, you might have some struggles along the way, but family are there when you need them. And I really feel that that community is that for me. Morning. Sticky pages. Um, we're, uh, we're in our core value series, and we're going to be talking about the one that makes, I mean, we don't have a core value here of tithing, so this is the second most uncomfortable message people get, and you know, uh, we're going to be talking about reproduction. Now, our church planting um, folks would, <clears throat> would say it's about multiplication, not reproduction. It's, it means the same thing, but if you think about it, just about everything that's living strives to reproduce. Now, not every person of the human race, not every, uh, not every deer of, or, or cow in the, bo- you know, the whole bovine race, not every plant is able to reproduce, but everything strives to. Um, we, we grieve when a, when, a, when a species goes extinct, when there's not enough breeding pairs left. So when you think of that in a spiritual sense, I mean, from the very dawn of history, when God put Adam and Eve together and, and he, he, he said, it's not good for man to be alone. And he put those two together. One of the very first things he said is be fruitful and multiply. And it's, it's not just, it's not just them have offspring. It's, it's make sure that the, that, that perpetually, and we blew it pretty early. I mean, with a, God had to give the earth a big bath with Noah. I mean, but it makes sure that the God of the universe, the one who created you is known to all. 
on and on and on and on. That is our call as Christians. And no Christian could argue that Jesus doesn't want us to talk to others about him. I mean, it's a re- that'd be a really tough sell to read the scripture and say, no, Jesus wants me to keep my faith to myself. I'm just going to make it private. And it's just me and the Lord. And he never wants me to tell anybody anything. Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2.2 says, take these, and I'm not going to, I'll read the one that's on the screen in a minute, but this is the way we memorize it. Paul talking to Timothy, one of his disciples, take these things you've learned from me and trust them to reliable people who will in turn be able to teach others. It is our command. Go and make disciples of all nations. There's no hesitation in Christ or in any of his disciples who became apostles. Uh, There's no hesitation at all about encouraging and even commanding the people of God to speak up, to say so, to, to reproduce themselves in the life of another reproduce another Christian. So our, our, our core value here at reproduction is, reads like this, the purpose of an apple tree is not simply to produce apples, nor another apple tree, but an orchard of fruit-bearing apple trees. The purpose of an, app, of an apple tree isn't to just make apples or another apple tree, but to produce orchards and orchards and orchards of trees that produce fruit, that produce other trees, that produce fruit. It just goes on and on and on. We believe that Christians are to seek to establish intentional relationships with others, hoping to earn the right to be heard. But reproduction does not end with a new Christian commitment. Our goal is to bring people to Christ so that they will bring people to Christ. If you think about Jesus when he showed up in Samaria and he meets this woman at the well and he has a conversation with her and she takes off and says to everybody that she meets, come meet the man that told me everything I ever did. So this woman who's been a believer for hours, within a day, she brings half of her village to the feet of Christ. That's a Christian generation from Jesus to the woman at the well to the people in her village. That's one, two, three. This Paul and Timothy thing represents four. Take these things you've learned from me and trust them. So that's Paul to Timothy and trust them to reliable people who will in turn be able to teach others. Paul, Timothy, reliable people, others. Four generations. How many generations do you think you are away from Paul talking to Timothy? I don't mean generations. Uh, Pastor Doug went and figured this out because I said, what is it? Thousands? 4,000? 400? 4,000? He goes, this is between 45 and 69 generations. 65 and 89. Thank you. See, he's going to get me right. Um, from that time till now, but I, I, I honestly wasn't speaking of, of fathers having children and then their children having children. I was thinking more like Paul to Timothy and Timothy to reliable people. I mean, quite literally, in the first couple of years of Christianity, there could have been dozens or hundreds of generations of one person tells another person tells another person tells another person tells another person. You guys ever heard of Billy Graham? Okay. Some, pe- he's still, some people still know of him. His son, Frank, has taken over uh, that, uh, that ministry. But there were some great evangelists in the latter half of the 20th century. Luis Palau, John Guest, uh, Billy Graham, Moody, Edwards. I mean, there's, a, there's just some people that lit the world on fire for Christ. Now, legend has it, and I haven't ever met the man, and hopefully one day I will in heaven. But legend has it that the guy that led Billy Graham to the Lord was the... He, that guy led one person in his whole life to Jesus, and it was Billy Graham. You know, he, he talked Billy Graham into going to this revival tent meeting with him, and he, and, he, and he conned him into going by saying, you can drive my new truck. 
So Billy Graham selfishly wanted to drive this new truck. He came to Jesus and tens of thousands of people know, knew the, came to know the Lord through Billy Graham and hundreds of thousands have come to know people, come to know the Lord from the people that Billy Graham led to the Lord. Reproduction, multiplication is a command. So I'm going to tell you what we're going to do today. We're going to have a sermon kind of set up like the Heidelberg Catechism. Not with all the question and answer. There will be one question when I ask you to raise your hands in a little while. But we're going to go with guilt, grace, gratitude. Okay? So it's going to be, uh, huh, huh. All right, so that's, that's the, that's the uh, theological way of describing that. So I'm going to read to you a story, a parable, by a guy named John Drescher. And it is long, redundant, repetitive, and uh, that's the point. So I hope you'll stick with it. I'll do my best to read it as if I'm speaking to you, but my eyes will be down. I'm so sorry, I've just got started. <laughs> and it came to pass that a group existed who called themselves fishermen. And lo... There were many fish in the waters all around. In fact, the whole area was surrounded by streams and lakes filled with fish. And the fish were hungry. Week after week, month after month, even year after year, these who called themselves fishermen met in meetings and talked about their call to fish, the abundance of fish and how they might go about fishing. And year after year, they carefully defined what fishing means, defended fishing as an occupation, and declared that fishing is always to be a primary task of fishermen. Continually, they searched for new and better methods of fishing and for new and better definitions of fishing. Further, they said, the fishing industry exists by fishing as fire exists by burning. And they loved slogans like, like fishing is the task of every fisherman and every fisherman is a fisher and a fisherman's outpost for every fisherman's club. They sponsored special meetings called fisherman campaigns and the month, uh, the month for fishermen to fish. They sponsored costly nationwide and worldwide congresses, congress, congresses to discuss fishing and to promote fishing and hear about all the ways fishing, uh, all, the, all the ways of fishing, such as new fishing equipment. This guy's obviously not a fisherman because the next thing he lists here is fish calls. Um, I don't know. Uh, and whether any new bait was discovered. These fishermen built large, beautiful buildings called fishing headquarters. And they, the, the plea was that everyone should be a fisherman and that every fisherman should fish. One thing they didn't do, though, they didn't fish. In addition to meeting regularly, they organized a board to send out fishermen to other places where there were many fish. All the fishermen seemed to agree that, that what was needed is this board uh, which could challenge fishermen to be faithful in fishing. The board was formed by those who had the great vision and courage to speak about fishing, to define fishing, and to promote the idea of fishing in faraway streams and lakes where many other fish of different colors lived. Also, this board hired staff people and appointed committees and held meetings to define fishing, to defend fishing, and to decide what new streams should be thought about. But the staff and the committee members of this great board didn't fish. Large, elaborate, and expensive training centers were built whose original and primary purpose was to teach fishermen how to fish. And over the years, courses were offered on the need to fish, the nature of fish, where to fish, and the psychological reactions of fish, and how to approach and feed fish. Those who taught had doctorates in fishiology, but the teachers did not fish. They only taught fishing, and year after year, after tedious training, many were graduated and were given fishing licenses. They were sent to do full-time fishing and some to distant waters, 
which were filled with fish. Some spent much study and travel to learn the history of fishing and to see faraway places where the founding fathers did great fishing in the centuries past. And they lauded the faithful fishermen of years before who handed down the idea of fishing. Told you it was long. Further, the fishermen built large printing houses to publish fishing guides. Presses were kept busy day and night to produce material solely devoted to fishing methods, equipment, and, and a program to arrange and to encourage meetings to talk about fishing. A speaker's bureau was formed uh, that provided a schedule to schedule special speakers on the subject of fishing. Many who felt the call to be fishermen responded. They were commissioned and they were sent to fish. But like the fishermen back home, they never wet a line. Like fishermen back home, they engaged in all kinds of other occupations. They built power plants to pump water for fish and tractors to plow new waterways. They, they made all kinds of equipment to travel here and there to look at fish hatcheries. Some also said that they wanted to be part of the fishing party, but they felt called to furnish fishing equipment. Others felt their job was to relate to the fish in a good way so that the fish would know the difference between good fishermen and bad fishermen. And others felt that simply letting the fish know that we were nice, land-loving neighbors and how loving and kind they were was enough. After one stirring meeting on the necessity of fishing, one young man left the meeting and he went fishing. The next day he reported that he caught two outstanding fish. He was honored for his excellent catch and scheduled to visit all the big meetings, uh, all the big meetings possible to let, to tell people how he did it. So he quit fishing in order to, to have time to tell others about the experience that he had when he went fishing. He was also placed on the fisherman's general board as a person having considerable experience. We're almost done. Now it's true that many of the fishermen sacrificed and put up with all kinds of difficulties. Some lived near the water and bore the smell of dead fish every day. They received ridicule of some, from some who, who made fun of their fisherman's club and the fact that they claimed to be fishermen, yet they never fished. They wondered about those who felt it was of little use to attend weekly meetings to talk about fishing anymore. And after all, were they not following the master who said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men? Imagine how hurt some were when one day a person suggested that those who didn't catch fish were really not fishermen, no matter how much they claimed to be. Yet it did sound correct. Is a person a fisherman if year after year he never wets a line? Is one following if he isn't fishing? Now, hopefully, you feel a little bit uncomfortable Hopefully, you recognize so many things in here that if you just transfer fishing to evangelism or fishing to sharing your faith, that you hear it's long and it's redundant for a reason. Because if you look at the history of the Western church in particular, you will see that most of us don't care that people next to us are going to hell. Do we understand that? That there are people that you know. There are people that you, that, that, that you sit next to at a diner. There are people that in your neighborhood. There are folks that don't know that God loves them, 
don't know that they've been saved by the grace and faith in Christ. They don't know. And as a result of that, if they don't know, they're going to continue to live their lives in such a way that leaves them hopeless. And when they face judgment, they won't be able to say, I know your son. Now, I know how audacious it is for anyone in this day and age to stand up and say, someone's going to hell. Because that says that we have an exclusive call, an exclusive claim to what it means to have salvation, to have eternal life. But the scripture is very clear that you don't, no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. There is no other name under heaven, on earth, or under the earth by which we might be saved. There is no other name. And every religion has that claim, but we have something new. We have something different than every other religious religion, every other worldview, every other thought system on the planet ever. We have one thing that no one else has. Grace. Everyone starts at the same spot. Condemned. There's, that's, an equal, that's a level playing field as you're going to get. Everybody's stuck. But anyone who receives for himself or herself the saving work of Jesus Christ saved. Christian's job is to tell them, to show them, to love them so that they understand that Jesus loves them too. Now, I got to tell you, this is uncomfortable. We're going to read these passages in a minute. And, and, and I want to tell well, here, the, the 2 Timothy 2.2 2 says this. This is not the version that I memorized. But, and the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach Others. That's Paul to Timothy. Timothy to reliable people. Reliable people to others. You are sitting here today because someone shared with you, whether it was your parents and they grew you up in the church and you went to Sunday school and you went to VBS and you went to all these other things. You are here today as a follower of Christ because someone cared enough about you to let you know that Jesus came to save you. But it gets uncomfortable. I can tell you, and, and, and I've said it to him, he's not here this morning, but Pastor Greg, he lives this better than anybody. Everywhere he goes, everywhere he goes, he's talking to someone about Jesus. We can't go to V's right down the street here without, and if we go as, you know, a couple of us go together, and, we're, we're, and Greg, will, he'll be talking to the, to the server, and he'll want to know there, and he, he's been going there for years now, so he knows them all, but, but he'll offer his name. He'll find out theirs. He'll ask them, do you have a church home? Only one time have I seen him just get the, oh, don't go there. And it was at G&L Hot. It probably shut down because of this. Um, <laughs> he said, he said, do you have a church home? I mean, I'm eating a hot dog. And he turns around to this couple right here, and he, and he says, hi, I'm Greg, and who are you? And, da, da, da. and are you enjoying your meal? Yes. Uh, do, you, do you have a church home? And I'm, I'm I guess I should be praying. But see, Greg operates under the philosophy that anyone that comes to know Jesus will be better off because of it. Do you have that philosophy? I mean, the gospel, the redeeming work of Jesus Christ took Paul, the apostle around the known world three times. There are people in my neighborhood that don't know Jesus, and I don't know their names. How about you? 
Paul to the church in Colossa, chapter 4, verse 2 says, 2 and following says this. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Now, I want you, I'm going to read that, that last verse one more time, and then we'll, we'll go a little further here. But, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Now, just, just, I don't like it all the time that Greg, Greg talks to a server at V's. Paul is asking for prayers so that he can proclaim the mystery of Christ to the people that are holding him captive. What does Paul think is most important on the planet? His release from prison or that Christ might be glorified and that people's lives and souls would be saved? I want to challenge us on this particular idea. It is hard in our culture to talk about, think about the news, sitcoms, dramas. It doesn't matter. Plays, it doesn't matter what medium. The one thing you're not allowed to be, the one value system you're not allowed to profess, the one hope you're not allowed to talk about, the one group of people that's not allowed to be offended are Christians. Everybody else can be offended. Everybody else is a victim. Everybody else has all this stuff. And Christians are the, are, are, we're the, we're the whipping boy. We're the one, we're, we're, we're evidently responsible for everybody's problems. Because we're judgmental, mean, we think that we know better than everybody else and we have this exclusive claim. So the one thing in all of culture that you're not allowed to profess is Christianity. Can't scream it from the mountaintops anymore. You can't even be a politician anymore and, 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 and pray before decisions are made. Okay, so woe is us. How terrible it is. We're stoned to death with marshmallows. It's not that hard. So why can't we adjust our strategy? Why can't we one-on-one, -on -one, relationship by relationship, friendship by friendship, Conversation by conversation, why can't we do what the Dutch did in World War II? I went to the Holocaust Museum uh, in, in Israel, and it was awful. I don't know, if, you've, if you ever get a chance to go, go, but don't. I mean, it's awful seeing the hundreds and thousands of shoes of children that had been burned to death or killed in a gas chamber. It was just, it, you can't even talk when you're in there. You just have to be. And there's one in Washington, D.C., too. They do a great job there, too. But, but when I came out of that, that, that uh, Holocaust Museum, there's this little garden area, sitting area, and there's bricks with names on it, and there's trees that are planted in, in memory of someone. And a bunch of those names were Dutch. And I'm not one of you. I don't have a name like Devander Van Vorverveen, he's from Berkshire Dyke. I don't. <laughs> Yanni. Um, but I have to have respect for people that were willing to risk their lives to save others. They, they would, the, the, that whole idea when Nazi Germany was, was, when the Nazis were taking over that section of Europe, there were Dutch people who, who, who would hide folks away. They would, they dug cellars under their homes. They would hide people away. There was a whole underground railroad set up to get people from Axis territory to Allied territory to save Jews, not even people, not even people that they had the same religion with. And we find ourselves in a situation like that now, that we're not allowed to stand up and say, this is wrong. How do, why should you hate us like that? 
But we can one relationship at a time reproduce ourselves and others. We can, we can pray and ask, ask God to give us an opportunity. My friend Jeff Walkus, who's, a, who's with Youth with a Mission, YWAM, in Kyrgyzstan, he preached a message a couple of years ago at the church I was, I was pastoring before this, and, and, he, and he said, tell people about Jesus. Just don't be weird. See, Scripture says always be prepared to give a defense for the, faith, for the, hope, for the, faith, the hope that you have, but do so with gentleness and humility. See, you probably can't go to the school board and say we want to bring prayer back into school. Because they're going to have to say no because they're going to get sued. But you can get to know a school board member and pray for them. But don't be weird about it. Your neighbor, the person that serves you food when you go out to eat, whatever. Someone out there that you know doesn't know Jesus. And it could be that your relationship with them, you might earn the right to tell them that Jesus loves them, that he died for them, and he didn't stay dead. He resurrected from the dead, and now God the Holy Spirit can live in you, align you with the Father, align you with all the other people on the planet, and give hope to the world. The only hope there is that God will give you riches at Christ's expense, not at your own. Grace. That he will give you what you do not deserve. Grace. And that he will show mercy to you. He will not give you what you do deserve. He's not going to give you what you have coming to you. Not if you're under him. But don't be weird about it. Ask God to give you opportunity. Even you. You can be subversive in your Christianity. You don't have to be stand up at the restaurant and say, anyone need to know Jesus? That's just weird. Greg gets away with it, but not me. Just kidding. At the utmost, I mean, I, he, he always reminds me that, gee, I don't, leave, I, can, I don't get to leave work at work. Hey, could you talk to me about, the, hey, I, I, you know, stop by my office tomorrow. I don't get to do that. Neither do you. But you, there's some simple ways of doing this. There's some simple, once you believe you've earned the right to talk to someone about the hope that you have, ask simple questions like this. You ever... You ever think about spirit? I mean, we're pretty good friends now, right? You ever think about spiritual things? Then let them talk. And maybe if you've earned the right, they will ask you in return, what about you? It's just tea. That's a great big watermelon you can take a swing at. Or here's one. You know, we're pretty good friends now, right? So I keep, I notice that you're worried about your son a lot or your daughter a lot. I mean, it seems like that whenever there's anxiety and I ask how you're doing, if there's anxiety, that you're, like me right now, my daughter is in Papua New Guinea and we haven't heard from her in two weeks, her and her husband. There's bird eating spiders there. I'm not making it up. There's more disease, uh, mosquito borne diseases in Papua New Guinea than any other place on the planet. And I've had two weeks with my adult daughter, I know I'm not, but I haven't heard, I don't know if she, I'm assuming, God, please. But if someone else has that kind of anxiety about something in their lives, ask them this question. Would it be okay with you if every day for the next week, I prayed for your son or for your daughter? I've had one person ever, when I asked them if I could pray for them, say, no, don't do that. I did anyway. (laughs) They can't hate me for that. And even if they do, it puts me in good company. Ask God 
to give you an opportunity. Ask God to open your eyes. Ask God to give you the heart he has for the person that's lost. So that when you see them, you are like Jesus, moved in your guts with compassion. Because you know what, folks? There are people going to hell. And they don't have to go. And I don't know who they are. I don't know who the elect are. I don't know the ones that Jesus has chosen. And I don't know if I'm on the other side of the Calvin-Armenian spectrum. I don't know who's going to receive Christ. I don't know who's going to decide for themselves. But let me give you this encouragement. I've done it before. I'm going to do it one more time. My friend Gary McBee is the best man at my wedding. In, early 19, in the early 19, uh, 1990s, I was going to say 1900s. I'm not that. Okay. Uh, he invited me to, he, he started up with Amway, which was in, then, then it was called Star something, then it was Alticor, and it's back to Amway now. But he had this business, and I don't put that in quotes like a negative thing. He actually made a lot of money doing this and, and blessed a lot of people. But he invited me to this thing, this presentation, where someone's going to try to invite me in. And I don't know if you've ever been at a gas station pumping gas, and someone comes up and goes, hey, my name's so-and-so, and hey, I have this business. If you want to get in on something, you know, and they hand you this card, and they try to, you got to give them credit for evangelism. I mean, they are relentless. But I'm sitting in this, in the basement of Gary's parents' house, and this guy's got a, I don't know, it's had to be a $1,100 suit. I mean, it's just, it's, it's beautiful. And he's sharp and slick, and he's got, he's got the El Camino or the Honda Ridgeline of haircuts. <laughs> Business up front, party in the back, right? I mean, he's got the mullet, it's all slick back. And this is the 90s, they were actually almost cool. Um, and he talks faster than I do, and he's up there, and he's so enthusiastic. I start thinking, man, I could pay off the church's debt if I just start doing this business. But my out was, like, I can't be someone's pastor and someone's boss at the same time. I can't sell them Jesus and sell them a product. I, 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 so I'm there to support Gary. But this guy said this, he goes... Look, I don't care who it is, your friends, your relatives, people you meet at the gas station, I don't care who it is, ask them, invite them, because some, some will, some won't, but so what? I'm just going to tweak that a little bit. Stealing from a marketing genius. There are people that you're going to talk to about Jesus, and you're going to get rejected. That's what we're most afraid of. We've evidently been given a spirit of fear, not a power of love and a sound mind. But if you talk to some, some will. Some won't. But folks, some will. Don't do this very often. I want you to put your hands in the air if you came to this church for the first time because someone invited you. Uh-huh. How bad was it? You're still here? Do you think that there might be someone that you could invite that wouldn't hate it? And if you don't think this is the place for them, okay, invite them somewhere else, but go with them. Go with them until they find a place. And pray for those like me and Doug and Greg and Kurt and Nate and Andrew and Patrick and Lynn and Abby and, and, and Jen and all of us that are professionals that have this PhD in physiology that we, it's easy for us to get caught up in, well, we're here to equip the saints. We don't need to talk to someone about Jesus, but also pray, please, every day that when we get a chance to teach or preach, that the weight of God, the glory of God, same word, weight and glory, that it, that it goes out there and it pierces hearts like a double-edged sword so that we might win some to Christ. I will pray for you if you will pray for us, actually, I'll pray for you anyway, but please pray for us. Our tactics have to change. Big crusades don't work like they used to. But face-to-face, relationship-to-relationship, 
prayer to prayer, person to person, earning the right and saying to someone, I have the hope of the universe and I'd like to share it with you. Do you care enough about people to give them that? One last thing. This is just to lighten it up a little bit so you don't feel too bad, but also to make a point at the end of it. It's no secret that I'm a bass fisherman. I'm not as good as Kyle Borst, but I do okay. And my wife, it's the one hobby I really love. And my wife wishes about the time December 15 rolls around that we lived in Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, Florida, uh, Louisiana. I'm missing one in there, but you know, Texas, down in that area, because I could be fishing in the middle of December because October 15 is about the time the boat goes away for the, for, for the winter. And, and April 15 is about when there's always ice out and the water starts to warm up. And, but that six months, I'm, but April comes around, I'm out on the lake. She goes, hey, wait, go fishing. Please. But you know, even though I actually wet a line, even though I actually go fishing, there's some things that downtime that I really like. I, I like to, to re-spool my, my, my reels. Um, if I'm fishing uh, White Lake or if I'm going to fish in, in somewhere where there's really clear water, I'm like, okay, I can't use braid. I have to use fluorocarbon because fluorocarbon kind of, I know you don't care about any of this, but it kind of disappears under the water, but the braid's got better sensitivity. You can whack them. And, and, and are we going to be fishing tubes or are we going to be fishing uh, grubs? Or are we going to be on swim baits? Or are we going to be on spinner baits? You know, uh, you think through it. What kind of water am I going to be in? How am I going to approach that with strategy? I like that. But if all I did is spend time strategizing and I never wet a line, I can't call myself a fisherman. I love preparing to fish because I love fishing. Do you love the fact that God wants to save your friends? Then be a part of God saving your friends. And if you don't love the idea that God wants to save someone next door to you, then ask God to forgive you. Because if the church stops reproducing itself, we're dead in 40 years. I hope you feel a little guilty. I hope you see that the hope that we have to offer anyone is the same hope that's offered to us, grace. And because you're thankful for what God has done for you, gratitude, he asks that you go and give away what the Lord has given you. Let's pray. Lord, give us courage and give us new tactics. Remind us that you came from where you were to where we are to tell us who you are and to show us how to get to where you came from. Help us recognize the simplicity of that, that we go to where people are. We love them where they are. And when given the opportunity, we share with them the hope that we have. Give us courage and remind us, Lord, that some will some won't, but some will. And those are the ones you want. We pray this in Jesus' name, through the power of your Holy Spirit, for the glory of God our Father. Amen.
Now, I change up how I do these messages from one hour to the next because it's got to feel fresh and I don't want to have to remember if I said that already. Let me finish this verse so that you know what was just said is part of what Paul is trying to communicate. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Back to the church, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be full of grace. Season with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. Jesus, his disciples, his disciples, disciples, their disciples, 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 and to you. Now you, make the most of every opportunity. Make sure your conversations are full of grace. And pray for those of us who are given charge to proclaim publicly so that the weight and the glory of God's word will pierce hearts, save souls, and encourage the believers to go and do what God has called them to do. The Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine on you, be gracious to you. The Lord, turn his countenance for you. Just look on God's face. God smile at you and give you peace. And all of God's people say, amen. Go with and in the peace of Christ.